Hello and welcome to the FG Personal Training Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by my good friend and elite karate competitor, as well as strength and conditioning coach, Tom Little. In this episode, we discuss Tom's journey into sport, his elite karate competitions, and then his journey into strength conditioning world through his injury record and how he's making a positive change and impact now. Right, so hi Tom, welcome to the FG Personal Training Podcast. Good to have you on. Thank you, thank you for having me. No, well, appreciate it. Um, so let's start at the beginning, really. So I want to kind of go back to when you were a kid. So what was your kind yeah. of introduction to sport, to karate? Um, what, 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 where did you start? What got you into yeah. it? Well, originally sport, and I think for probably a lot of kids in the UK, a lot of lads anyway, um, football. Football was one of the main things, if not the only thing, for a long time. My parents put me into like swimming clubs and stuff like that, just so I knew the basics. But it was football. I think it was... Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, football all the time. Um, and then karate came around because of a love of WWF wrestling. I used to love watching like The Rock, Stone Cold and stuff. Um, and the lad who lived up the street from me, his dad was from Liverpool and used to fight for one of the big Liverpool clubs. Don't know if you know in the KGB, Halewood. They were quite a big, quite a big, strong club and they still are. Um, and yeah, his dad was saying that well, if you need to be, if you want to be wrestlers, lads, you need to know martial arts. So he took us down to the local Weatherby Karate Club. Must have done it up until about a green belt, yellow belt, and then that club folded. And that's when I ended up finding Matt and Nick, because again, Ralph, who fought for Halewood, had fought against Nick in various different competitions, knew of them, and they were literally a 10 minute drive down the road from our little uh, town. And yeah, and then once I found the LKA and I saw the level went up again. It just it inspired me. And there was a lot of kids around my age group. And I think when you get a collective like that, you kind of get the, the bug for it, don't you? And you, you make friends and you kind of want to keep going. And you've seen how infectious Matt and Nick can be sometimes. So it kind of just, yeah, it snowballed from there in terms of the karate. But I, as a kid, I was quite happy to play most sports, but the real competitive things were football. And then, yeah, the karate competitions came on. Yeah, so you talk about karate competitions there. So, kind of, how, where were you? Where did you dip your toe into that? How old were you? Did it, did it start as a, a tryout, or was it kind of a, was it something you had to do as part of your club? It wasn't enforced, enforced. So, I don't think you were sort of like whipped into it and forced to go along. But again, because of the way I went into it, the guy who introduced me to it, he was a big competitor. And he set up a little inter club competition for the Weatherby Karate Club in Halewood. And we fought some of their fighters. And yeah, I, I liked it. I don't think I won on the day, but I, I think I had a good scrap and stuff like that, as you do it, sort of what would have been 10, 11 years old or something. Mm-hmm. And then from there, once you got to the LKA, they were going to competitions and it was just a natural progression. It was com- being competitive. I am a competitive person. Get me playing Monopoly or like cards or anything. I want to win. So competitions was just, a natural sort of evolution of things. And yeah, started from real grassroots competitions. I'm sure you've been to them rocking up in a sports hall somewhere where they've just taped out a little area on the floor. They've got some guy wearing jeans who's marking the scores and stuff like that. So yeah, real grassroots and then gone and gone and gone. And I've had the opportunities to fight at a real high level. And I'm just thankful for all those opportunities, really. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've had a, obviously a good competition career. Obviously, I've been a part of that journey as well um so you've had you have had some, some obviously some, some major successes with that 
Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, so kind of the first thing I knew about you was obviously one, you're a good fighter, but then also you're kind of, I don't want to, don't want to offend you here, but sort of your injury record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because that's something that's always interested me about you a little bit and haven't really spoke to you much about it, but talk to me a little bit about how kind of your injury, your, your sort of your injury came about, um, your big injury yeah. came about. Um, yeah. Again, um, I'm just one of those sort of people. I'm Mr. Bump or whatever you want to call it. I, things break on me. I think my first ever injury, first ever operation and stuff, I broke a leg at two years old. So you can sort of see the way my career and my life was going to go from that stage. Um, but I'm guessing the injury that you're alluding to is my first ACL that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, it was a, um, it was one of those things at the time. Yeah, I was 21 and I'd been through training all the time, been to university, probably got into some bad habits in terms of staying up late and stuff like that, just as you do when you start to get into those ages. Um, and we had an opportunity to fight in this televised competition and we we're fighting. And the lad who I was fighting was a really good fighter. And I think it was maybe three, two, maybe three all at the time. Um, and he just pulled my front leg, just like a little leg tap. And it pulled my left leg forward. My right knee just buckled underneath me. And next thing I know, I'm just on my back. And I was like, oh, God, what's happened here? And I felt like a shearing pain in my knee. But when I've stood up, again, I don't know how much you know about an ACL sort of injury, but the knee can actually not feel too unstable straight away. It can actually feel okay. Whereas, like, obviously, if you break a bone or something, you know it's going on. ACLs can kind of sometimes be a bit sort of like a hidden injury. So I've stood up, I've done like a few like sort of movements and it's like, oh no, my knee feels all right, that's all right. So we've carried on fighting. I've gone for an over the top and I've just felt my knee sort of like expand and then collapse back in on itself. And yeah, that was the ACL completely gone. It took me six weeks, two months to actually get a proper diagnosis of it. I think I went to see a physio local to me and he did all these tests and I must have quite lax joints anyway. Because he tested my right knee, which was the ACL injury, and he tested my left knee, and there wasn't a, ma- a massive difference between the two. So he said, do all these exercises, strengthen them up. So I did that for a couple of weeks, came back, and I just said to him that it still doesn't feel right when I do X, Y, and Z. So he took me into the gym. We did, I think I went for a kick on a pad, and it just went, boom, just went straight underneath me again. And I saw the shock on the physio's face because he wasn't expecting it. And he probably felt bad because he's made me do all this. And he said it wasn't a rupture and all this sort of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, going through from that, I went to see a consultant and then played played the NHS a little bit. Like you can sneak in on cancellations and stuff like that. So I'd waited, a, must have been about four months now. And I was getting sick to death of like not knowing what was going on. I wasn't able to train because it just didn't feel right when I was training. And then... One of our friends told us about this cancellation policy that the NHS does. And I straight away went on to that. And I think two weeks after phoning them up almost every other day, they just went, right, Tom, we've got an operation for you. Can you come in next Monday? And sign, seal, delivered. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah. Do you want me to go into the actual, what happened in terms of the operation and stuff like that? Yeah, or? yeah go for yeah. it. I mean, it's, it's quite an interesting thing because, I mean, we, we hear about ACL, obviously, through professional sport a lot, don't we? And yeah, but actually, I mean, I can speak for like for my gym and stuff. We we talk about ACL a lot and we talk about protecting it, but we never see it. Um, obviously, you've had firsthand experience of it, so it'd be good to. Yeah. So I am. Um, I'm in fact, 
we'll probably go into this further. I've ended up having two ACLs. I ended up having it reconstructed a couple of years later. Um, but the first one I had was a hamstring graft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they take part of either your hamstring tendon, your high hamstring tendon, or your low hamstring tendon. So you've got one like up near your glutes or one down near your knee. And it just depends on what the surgeon's sort of option is. And they take the tendon because the tendon's a much better thing to take than any muscle fiber and stuff like this. So they took my one near the knee. Um, it's a keyhole surgery, which is pretty cool. You don't end up having massive scars and stuff like that. Um, I don't know how long the surgery took, but the first one, it went really well. Um, the physio was happy or the surgeon was happy with it. And then you're into the grind of a nine-month rehab, basically. So the first three months for most ACL people is just trying to get range of movement back into there, building up a bit of quad strength again, a bit of hamstring strength, get the muscles firing properly. Um, and then after the three-month spell, three to six months is where they start opening up a little bit more, giving you the option to run, but it's all straight line running bit more loading up through the joint as well. Maybe jumping onto boxes and stuff like that start to happen onto there, but really low level jumping. Um, then six months to nine months, it's like your return to sport moment. So they're getting you to do running, but more cutting angles and then maybe even just dabbling a little bit into it. So for me, it was going back into stances and stuff like that, or maybe working through from a front stance to a back stance and stuff like that. Um, that's the, as an athlete, the six to nine month spells when you're like, oh, yes, get in. I feel like I'm returning back to something that I like. Um, I suppose, <laughs> blessings in disguise, I'm lucky to know now that it's not a nine month rehab. It's double that. It's 18 months easily because I went first straight back into my first after the first ACL, maybe six, seven months back into training. And it felt really weird for the oh, six months after that. I think we did the Worlds in Scotland. I think that might have been one of the first competitions I actually went back to <laughs> post-ACL. Um, and I thought I thought okay on that day. I was pretty pretty happy with the way I fought. Um, but still, I, I look back on it now and I wasn't overly confident in the knee itself. Um, and then, yeah, through Bill it up, Happy surgeon signed me off. They got me back and I was I must have been back competing for a good year and a half, two years. And then I was training with a lad who was doing, can you remember the European games that went on? Or the world, no, it was the world games that were in back of. Um, it was Pan from Paul Newby's club, if you remember Pan. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Cypriot. Yeah, yeah, the Cypriot lad. Um, I was fighting Pan at Newby's, helping him train. So we were doing like crazy sort of 10... 10 rounds, three minute rounds, just like I had to just try and work pan, just try and work and work and work. And, um, and we got to a point where we ended up back to back and I could feel pan wanted to like throw me. So I thought I've got to make this awkward for him. So I didn't, didn't plant myself, but I just thought I'd be heavy. I just felt his knee go into the back of my knee. I just felt like a little tear in something. And I just knew straight away. I was like, something's just on there. That is not good. Uh, and again, same sort of thing. Five minutes, 10 minutes later, you're like, well, maybe it's not. Maybe it was just a sort of figment of my imagination. Went and got an MRI scan and, yeah, it was another tear in the same ACL. So, again, depending on how much you look into ACLs, I think it's something like two-thirds of ACLs go through non-contact. So the landing mechanics or the twisting and turning in a game, studs getting caught in the ground, so no one else involved. 
two one third goes through contact from someone else so to have two acls go through contact based sort of stuff kind of class myself as a little bit of an unlucky person there but there you go life is life um so yeah and then the second one was a patella tendon graft so they took my left patella tendon to put into my right knee or your patella tendon kind of forks off so they split one of them and then put them both back together again sort of thing and they put there and the patella tendon is a stronger one but you obviously then have the problem that you've got to rehab a patella tendon which can evolve into like tendonitis and stuff in the patella which is not a nice thing that sort of stuff i was I was happy. I, was, I did my good rehab again. I was lucky because where, where I work now, which is a fitness rehab facility, um, I was working there on my second ACL. So I had a, access to physios. I had access to like a hydrotherapy pool, Alter-Gs, if you've heard of an Alter-G as well, which is an anti-gravity treadmill. So my second level of rehab was top-notch. I don't think I could have asked for anything better. And I think that was the reason why I didn't develop any further issues um but it's it's a graft it's it's hard and i think the hardest thing about injuries for a lot of people is the fact that you're by yourself you can't do it with other people it's all on you you can and i suppose that's the kind of the same across the fitness industry it's you can be a great coach you can lead people in the right direction but you need them to actually do the work and with injuries it's even more important because it's you don't feel well. You don't feel great. Your body's struggling to sort of, your immune system's maybe a little bit weaker because you're having to help someone else is getting used to rehab that thing or to rebuild that sort of the, the problem area for you. Mm-hmm. So you generally you have off days, but it's you carrying on being consistent. That's one of my big things is being consistent with your training. And yeah, the second ACL was definitely one of those things where I was even more consistent and more thorough than I was in the first one. I did more hamstring work because I think that was one of the big problems I did in the first one that I got to a certain level with hamstrings and I just thought, oh, it's fine. That's all right. Because everyone emphasized the quad to me so much in the first one that I did. Mm-hmm. So like, I did more hamstring work um, and more balance sort of orientated stuff. So either wobble boards, BOSUs, or then like sort of doing things where people are manipulating it a little bit more. So like having maybe a band around my chest or my stomach and someone pulling on the band to try and offset it and stuff. So I think that was just a little bit more of a thorough basis on that second one. Yeah. Um, but they're just, they're long rehabs. Give me, break break a bone any day of the week because you're going to be six weeks in pot and plaster and then you're back into your training. You do ligaments, you do tendons, your, your months. And I think that's where it becomes a real mental battle for yourself. Yeah, um, something I want to touch on that you just said there, you said obviously you, like you're on your own. Do you think you had that mental attitude being a, an individual athlete though? So obviously karate is very individual, isn't it? Yeah, we have a coach. Yeah, we have a team. But we're in a team where we want to, we're looking after ourselves. Um, yeah. Do you think you had that bit of a head start compared to say like a footballer who's used to being in a team and everything's done for them by other people? They're a cog in the wheel, yeah, possibly and probably the fact that you are, you can't, you can't trust anybody. Well, you can't trust anybody else. That's harsh. Um, you can't depend on anybody else in a fight. It's you and your opponent. So you've got to do the, the stuff that you want to do. You've got to do it. If you don't do it, you can't come off. You can blame refs. I'm sure you've heard me blame a ref in the past. I'm sure you've heard me probably blame my coaches saying that I don't think they gave me this or that. But come down to boil it down it's you you're the fighter you're the one who's got to do the work if you you do a clean point the ref will score it 
You know what I mean? <laughs> so you can't blame those. So potentially, yeah, the fact that it, we are an individual sport in karate gave me that mindset of, right, it's me. I've got to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure other sports have it, but karate has a very much a mentality of pushing yourself through it, being showing you that failure doesn't mean that you, you've got to stop. Failure is just your learning curve. So mm-hmm. rehab is often a process of two steps forward, one step back, or it's never a linear sort of straight line periodization progress. You're undulating left, right, center to going backwards, going forwards. So, and I think karate gives you a little bit of that. I've failed gradings in my time and stuff. So you know that it's like, right, it's me. I've got to do this. Mm-hmm. So I do think, yeah, you're probably right there that the sport helped me a little bit to my my mindset. And I also had that thing that I've known people, again, in karate, someone else had this sort of injury a couple of years before me, maybe four or five years before me. I don't think we really saw him compete again. Mm-hmm. And I just, I always said to him, I don't want to be that person who, like, get to 30, get to 35, 40. And I stopped competing. At, say, if, I, if it did, I stopped competing at 21, 22. And saying, oh, I could have done this. I should have done that. I didn't want an injury to be the reason why I quit. I wanted to quit because of me. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So I didn't want to use an excuse. Um, which, again, probably a bit of that individual mentality. I'm not letting something else get in my way. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's cool. And let's flip it to a bit more positive. So obviously, you're a, for those that are listening that don't know, you're a, you're a strength and conditioning coach. Um, yep. What came first then? So you said you were at uni and then you got injured after uni. So were you, mm-hmm. were you studying sports then? So where did you, where yeah. did the whole idea of, did, did, did this injury lead to the strength and conditioning route or was you already on that pathway anyway? It did. Um, I was probably slightly on the pathway, but the injury, the second injury definitely led me into wanting to go and do strength and conditioning. Um, so my original undergrad was a sports development undergrad. Um, and that's generally speaking, it's going to be working within your local councils and facilitating sports competitions. Um, so you're working with schools and stuff, making it a school comps and things. Um, honestly, that was probably the wrong thing for me. I was 18 at the time and I didn't particularly mind what I did. I just wanted to go to uni and basically live a uni lifestyle. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something in sport. Mm-hmm. that was probably one of the easier courses for me to get on at the time. Maybe didn't have to push myself at A-level to get on that course. Did that, did my three years, came out with a 2-1, quite happy. Um, got stuck stacking shelves in because the government's all changed. It went from Labour to Conservative. Um, so sport funding got completely slashed out and there was no real job or not a lot of jobs going in that industry. And I ended up, yeah, stacking shelves for about six months. Um, hated it, absolutely despised it. So uh, did my PT qualifications, all my gym instructor PT qualifications, ended up working in little gyms in my hometown and then getting further on through the karate club. I ended up knowing someone who worked at the place that I now work and did a maternity cover and then got into a full, not a full-time contract straight away, but part-time contracts. So I was in the sports industry. I was doing that sort of sports style of coaching. But I don't know how you felt your like level twos and level threes were, I expected them to teach us, right, this is how you strengthen this, this is how you strengthen that, these are the exercises that work well for it. It wasn't really that, like, or the one that I did anyway wasn't. So I was a bit like, I don't, I'm having to just do the exercises I enjoy doing because that's how I know to do them sort of thing and I can coach those. I wanted more of a wider range of sort of skill sets. 
So looking at various different courses, and there's so many online, it's an absolute minefield to actually know which course should I do. Should I do a weekend course in this? Should I do a six-month course on that? And then a master's came up at Leeds Beckett, or, well, Leeds Met as it was, but now Beckett, um, in strength and conditioning, and it was going to be the first year of it. And my big boss at work worked for Leeds Rhinos, and it was the strength and conditioning coach on Leeds Rhinos who was having a um, bit of a part with the Leeds Met thing, because Leeds Met and Leeds Rhinos have a bit of an interlinking sort of relationship. Um, so I went to speak to him and just asked him what the course would be, what would I find out? And it was, it was going, you had three, four modules in each semester and you had two semesters. And there was a biomechanics module. There was a periodization style module. There's a physiology module. But then there was also like multidisciplinary teams and stuff. So you were getting a bit more out of it. And then you're obviously with other like-minded people. So you start figuring things out or you start being like comparing what they do to this. Um, and it actually happened that I signed up for the course, did the course. And then that's when I ended up getting the second ACL in that summer before I started the course. So I was, at, I, it kind of gave me an opportunity. I thought that, yeah, I can do my rehab, but I won't be able to compete and I won't be doing my normal training. So potentially I've got free evenings and a lot of the course was in an evening. And yeah, it was something that I, I really wanted to do more for myself personally. There was a little bit, I think everyone who gets into this industry would love to work for a sports team. Yeah. I'd love to be a Man United um, S&C coach or like a Yorkshire cricket coach and stuff like that. But I don't know if you've looked into it. The sport industry is a very competitive and a lot of the time it's who you know in those industries more so than your actual own knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it kind of dawned on me a little bit halfway through the course that I could have, I'll could, i have to graph to get into the sports industry where I want to go. But this would generally make me a much better coach in my understanding of strength and conditioning training. Because like I said, I, level twos, level threes, they're, they're lacking. They really are. They, especially level three. Level two, you're a gym instructor. You basically just need to open up the gym. If you can switch on the light and clean a, clean down a treadmill, then you can be a gym instructor. Um, personal trainers, I feel that they should be given more in terms of on the courses. And this is maybe where the problem is in that, in that side of it, is that like me and you, we're classed as personal trainers or strength coaches, but some guy who's just gone and done a weekend course over two weekends is now the same level as us mm -hmm. and to the open public if you just see oh he's a personal trainer he's a personal trainer yeah you know what i mean and yeah we list our qualifications and stuff but again sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean to people they don't really understand what that might mean so yeah and i feel that the pt game becomes a very much a marketing thing so maybe i should have gone and done sports marketing instead of rather than like sports <laughs> development at uni but yeah um so with that, obviously, you said like you wanted to work in the sports thing, but I actually think you've got a really fascinating like job now. Um, it's brilliant, yeah. Um, so kind of explain a little bit about what is you actually do, because obviously I think when people think about S&C, and this is the first thing I did, I kind of went blindly into it as well. And I was like, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an S&C qualification. I'm going to have athletes lining up at my door. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. <laughs> yeah, it, does, it doesn't really work like that. Um, yeah, so obviously... And S&C kind of, I think sometimes it gets tagged as like performance coaching. Um, mm. And I guess what you kind of do is sort of that, but kind of yeah. a bit more rehabby, isn't it? So it's quite fascinating, really, what you actually do. Yeah, I, I find my job fascinating. So I hope other people do as well. So it's quite nice to hear that you do. Um, yeah, I think you kind of said it there. I think everyone assumes S&C 
and they associate it with elite sport. So they always assume it's that elite level like training. But SNC isn't. SNC should be the thing that facilitates your daily life or your activities that you want to do. So Joe down the road should be doing exactly what Janine in the national team is doing. You know what I mean? But maybe to slightly different weights, slightly different intensities, but they should be doing a very similar sort of, or having a very similar structure to their sort of lifestyle in terms of their training. Um, so yeah, my job is I work at a police treatment centre. So we look after injured police officers. Um, it's a charity. The police officers have to pay in themselves. So it's not like government funded or anything along them lines. And it's a residential place. So they come for a two weeks stay. They'll be assigned a physio on day one. Their physio will go through things with their injuries. So there might be a bit more specific people. Someone who's got like an ACL or maybe we see a lot of shoulders. So we see a lot of rotator cuff injuries and things like that. Or something that may be a little bit more long-term and maybe not as acute. So maybe like lower back injuries, lower back pain. So I don't know if you know any police officers, but they've got a horrendous uniform to wear, body armor and stuff that puts them in like a really weird, awkward sort of seating position and stuff in cars and things. Mm -hmm. So lower back pain becomes a very big issue within the police. Um, so yeah, we see various different levels of injury, which again, makes your job quite interesting. You see people for two weeks, you get to know them a little bit, you can give them the structure and their plan. Um, you can sometimes, some people want just general sort of fitness stuff, just how to structure their training. Some people need a little bit more specific. So as a coach, you can get a little bit more out of it in terms of you can you can go really focused on one thing, but then you can also just open up and you can experiment with other sides of it. The one lacking thing that I don't particularly enjoy is the fact that I see them for two weeks and then they're gone. And like you're like, right, you worked really hard with me. You're in a real for them, they're in a foreign environment. They're in a hotel, they're in basically a hotel for two weeks and they're catered for. They get their food cooked for them, they get their bedrooms cleaned, they get basically looked after for two weeks, which is great. You can unwind, you can really focus on your injury. But when you go home, home life kicks in. You got your kids, you got your wife asking you to do this. You've got work now coming in, demanding you to stay for a couple of extra hours. So fitting everything in is a really tough thing, which is where I wish we had a bit more communication with them after work. But the actual level of coaching, it's, it's very similar to what most people, most strength conditioners with them. I try and make sure that we find the foundations. And this is where you work hand in hand with the physios. So again, from my degree, doing like the modules where it's multidisciplinary teams, getting used to figuring out, right, I've got this goal that I want this person to do, but the physio wants them to do that. How can we find a nice middle ground where we both agree on it? Um, so yeah, usually we like to try and make sure in week one, we've got the foundations for them. They've got their basics. They know exactly what they need to do to improve their injury. And then week two is where I like to try and sort of expand it, right? This is what I want you to be thinking of for the next month. This is what I want you to think for two months time. And then we try and like work it along that. How much people follow those things. <laughs> you just got to hope that they, uh, they do and you got to just trust them a little bit. Do the guys ever come back then? So do they ever come back, say, a few months yeah. down the line or whatever? Depending on the nature of the injury, and that's all physio-led. So I have no option of who comes back and who doesn't. If, if it was me, most injuries, I'd like to see people come back in four months' time, see how they are. It might only be for a week, just so that they can we can clarify, yes, you've you've nailed this one, or all right, let's take you back this step. You've you've 
you've jumped two steps too far forward sort of thing. Um, but some injuries will, and like the physios will lead that sort of, that decision. So like a few ACLs, generally speaking, your longer term sort of rehab ones we'll, we'll see. So we also get things like, um, like if you've ever seen like a crazy leg break where they've ended up having to put two plates on it and screws, but then the screws don't work. So they have to take the screws out and stuff like that. These injuries can then last for nine months, 12 months sort of thing. So we sometimes see them as a repeater, which is quite nice again, because they're a new phase next time they come and we can progress them from that phase as well. Um, But generally speaking, we don't see the same person for the same injury. I might see the same person, but they've come for a different injury. Yeah. The nature of policing, it's it's up and down. You could one day it might be your shoulders that are getting absolutely wrecked because they're holding this massive shield and stuff like that. And then the next day they're having to run after someone and then jumping over fences and stuff. And you can imagine the impact that's going through the ankles, the knees, especially when you're carrying. I think it's for a normal PC PC that you see just walking around patrolling. I think they're carrying something like two stone extra on their body in terms of all the gadgets and all the stuff. And if you put two stone extra on and tried to go for a run, I bet you wouldn't enjoy it. Mm. So, yeah. And then when you go into like fire rounds and stuff like that, I think it's like three or four stone extra that they have to carry. And these could be a 56 kilo female that's having to carry all this. So it's regardless of your actual weight, this is your kit that you've got to carry. Yeah. So various, in the same person can come back, but with a different sort of injury. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I, like, that's what I mean. Like uh, to me, I just find that fascinating because, like you say, it's just, it's like there's. I think, like we said, we kind of go, oh, we want athletes at the door, but then it's kind of using what your knowledge to actually what where can you if you're not gonna okay if you're not gonna work for Yorkshire County Cricket Club or you're not gonna work for Man United, actually, where can you make a real difference? And I think that's where like mm-hmm. something that you do does really make a difference, doesn't it? Because yeah, you're you're, you're seeing guys day to day, and it's and I would call that performance coaching, isn't it? Because I I, I usually say it, especially like. Try not to disrespect anybody when I'm at work in that sort of capacity, but someone who's an office-based like police officer, a detective and inspector and stuff like that, that will be just, they'll be sat on their chair. So you don't have to sort of go crazy in the performance side of things. They might be a little bit more of a, a general, right? You need to, rather than going for your bodybuilding plan that you've seen on Instagram the other day, this guy doing this five-day split, you need three-day full body training because you don't get to train in five days a week. There's no point in splitting up your muscle groups per se, but you should maybe do a full body training session with different exercises in each day. So you're getting that different stimulus. Then you go into someone who's more of a specific role, like a dog handler, for example. They're, if they're leading the dog, the dog's always pulling on the shoulder. So they should have a real shoulder emphasis in their training session, whether it's doing your generic or your general sort of like rotator cuff style exercises, which they will want to do. This is our foundation stuff that we talk about. But then I like to get them to do things like kettlebells or TRXs. So there's the instability in their resistance training. There's no point in putting them on a machine. Mm-hmm. Again, it depends on the level of their, their, a, their own training background. Some people don't have the training background, so a machine will do them just as much as a kettlebell will do. But then equally, um, some people need that little bit more stimulus, so they will need a little bit more of a challenge for them. Um, Yeah, so it's dead fascinating sort of role to be in, in terms of trying to figure out what they need out of their performance and what they need to do. Because, yeah, elite, it, it's not elite-level performance, but 
the strain. I don't know. Have you got a dog? I don't know if you do. I can't remember if you no, got a dog. No, no, no. no. But if you've ever gone for a dog walk and you've got a dog that wants to pull on the lead, yeah. your shoulder does feel it afterwards. And these are big canines. These are, what are they, Alsatians, German Shepherds and stuff that they generally have. Yeah. Powerful dogs. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, there's some roles are more specific and some roles are a bit more general. Um, yeah, it gets fascinating. Yeah, it's it's just it's just an interesting like like I said, there's just there's so many facets to it, and I think that if there's anyone listening to this who is a coach, or maybe finishing a degree, or maybe a bit in limbo, like probably we have both been in our careers. Mm. Actually, you don't just have to think, oh, if I'm not working in elite sport, I'm not making a difference, um, or no. I can't use my I can't use my degree that I've worked hard for, or whatever. Um, exactly. Um, finally. Uh, last question so what are your what are your sort of what are your future plans so obviously on your and your sort of ambitions so one for you personally in terms of your your karate and your competing yeah um, but then also for sort of your your career and stuff and where do you where do you want to go we'll go with cry first um the cry career i've probably got three four five years left maybe um i'm young 30s i think 35 when the tipping point in terms of going into the vets competed since I was 10, 11 years old. I don't feel I need to start competing in the vets categories. So I, I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy my competitions. Um, I, I put too much pressure on myself in my mid-20s and things to try and reach the elite, elite level of karate, um, which, yeah, whether it was injuries or whether it was just my own mentality, I look back on it and I think things like sleep and eating right those things are massively important. It's something that I try and stress to a lot of like the younger people. Like I was too blase about it. I, could, I can get away with five hours sleep. They'll be fine. Nah, maybe that's where my injuries started to creep up from because there is a big evidence of injuries related to sleep and recovery. Um, so I want to enjoy these next couple of years. I want to be able to fight well. We just had the BKFs a couple of weeks back. And I lost my fight. I was against the guy who got to the final. And unfortunately, they didn't do rapid charge, so I didn't get the chance to go for the third. Um, but Matt, when I came off, said, that was potentially one of your best fights that I've ever seen you have. Up there with like, sort of the top five, top ten fights that I've seen you do. And that's the sort of thing I want to come off with. I want to come off knowing that I've left everything on the mat and I've enjoyed it. And I think when you do that, the results will start coming. The results will start coming. And then hopefully the world seems to be going back to the way, back to normal, if you can class anything as normal anymore. Um, and we're going to have a couple of more JKS Worlds and stuff like that. I'd love to get a world medal. I got one in Dublin a couple of years ago. Um, but I feel our JKS team's getting really strong now. We've just had a few people join us this year from KGB. As KGB's sort of slightly dismantling a little bit. So we've got a few strong fighters from there. I don't know if you remember Remy. Yeah. Remy's... Remy's got leaps and bounds and he's coming in his fight and he is top level fighter now. So um, hopefully we can have a really strong team to push the Japanese. And I think Kagawa probably knows this a little bit. So um, yeah, hopefully we can push him a little bit more in a couple of the bigger comps. And it's Worlds, hopefully I get somewhere better than, well, not better, but somewhere different than Scotland and Dublin. I've only <laughs> been, been to World Championships <laughs> in the UK. Um, so hopefully, yeah, a bit further afield. Um, and then in terms of my own sort of career and stuff, like, like we've mentioned there, I, I really enjoy my job. I think when you find somewhere that you enjoy and you enjoy going to work, don't, don't wish for better or don't wish for looking on the other side. The grass is always greener sort of thing. Um, it's making the best out of your opportunities. So I've got the opportunity to 
really implement a good SNC practice within the police sort of forces. So I'd like to somehow maybe get going with that sort of thing. Potentially, I've always wanted to maybe work with firearms officers and just maybe give them more of a structured sort of thing that this is something that they could take further. Mm-hmm. So that's on that work inside of it. And then I've really got into um, road cycling in the last couple of years. So it's become a really big thing for me. It, it was a little bit there after the injuries, because again, you don't want the impact when you have it, when you got those type of injuries. So I got into cycling, then furlough happened. So I had five months off, which was a blessing in disguise in a little way. Um, I was training five times. I was going out on the bike five times a week, doing three, four, five hours at a time. So I've got quite strong at it. Um, and it's a dead fascinating sport. So I'd love to set up either a website or a consultation sort of business where I show people the strength and conditioning side of it for off the bike training. Mm-hmm. We've got one girl who works for us at my place in the catering team, and she's a really strong cyclist. So I'm doing a little bit in the background of like UKCA because, you know, you have to do um, a presentation and you've got to work with an athlete to move them forward. Mm-hmm. And she's never done the gym work. So if anything, you might know this as a coach, they're probably the best people to get. People who've never really done gym work. Yeah. She's a good athletic girl. She's got good mobility. She did really well in all those sort of mobility tests, but she's never really lifted weights. So you can really start at a real foundation level and really build the blocks to get to where she needs to be. So that is long-term. I'd like to try and get something S&C cycling related because it's become a little bit more of a passion for me now. Um, and then work as I am now, hopefully something within the police to try and help facilitate their their elite level sort of officers, the people that need maybe a little bit more specific style training rather than without being harsh, generic sort of style training that you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really cool, mate. So obviously I'll sign off by wishing you the best of luck first with your Thank you very much, Fred. And uh, obviously hope this, uh, your, your, your new kind of, your new ideas and stuff do take off as well and obviously wish you the best luck with your job as well mate thank you very much i hope you're all the best as well bud your business seems to be going really well so i hope it keeps going and flourishing yeah. Doing really well, but... yeah cheers mate thanks for joining me thank you thank you thank you very much